Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of the hosts. And I'm the other host, Ethan. This episode, we are talking about Trusted Sources, episode nine. It is um, directed by Philmark Saga Draka, who we talked about before, but new to the scene, Ben M. Waller. Now, Mr. Waller is known for writing such shows as Rocket Jump, The Moment Before a Selfie, Roborocalypse, a podcast series. So they really are taking a chance on the uh, the new talent. I've never heard of any of these shows. No, I was saying it just to uh, highlight the fact that he is... um, this is his big break, so to speak. Yeah. I've also got to point out your intro. I don't know if you remember this, but last time we recorded, like two weeks ago, when you typically would say, I am Ethan, two of your hosts, you said, I think I'm going to stop doing that. And I did. And you did. I, but I didn't know if that was like consciously or subconsciously. Like, did you actually remember saying that? And then, or was it just so happens no, that you. Uh, I think it's just the same feeling because I, I was about to do it. I said, you know, I think that's gotten old now. Yeah. Because I, because I, I had it in my mind, and I thought to myself, should I still say one of your hosts, or should I say like I am Kevin, a host? Yep. But I, you know, I know that a joke's only good for twenty to thirty times. Right. Unlike the, uh, do you remember like a hundred years ago? I used to have like a really crazy intro, and like I did it. I think I did it for like maybe six or seven weeks, and then finally you were like, I, I just, I hate your intro so much. Oh yes, I do remember this. <laughs> I hated that. I don't know what it was. I, I remember what it was. That's right. Trekkies, Trekkers, and all of you silicone-based life forms. Is oh, what it was. yeah. Yes. That was a little Casey Kasem for me. Yeah. Very good. Well, we're discussing the penultimate episode of season three of Star Trek Lower Decks. And you know how much I love that word, penultimate. I know. Trusted sources. So maybe then you think of that old CNN show, Reliable Sources. Oh, I don't even remember that show. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, yeah, so we got an episode. We do have an episode. Qu- quite a good one. I actually really enjoyed this one. I liked all of the... I was really into the twists and turns that it took kind of at the end, in the last few minutes. Me too. I liked it. Um, I didn't think it was all that funny, but I enjoyed the story. Yeah, so did I. I mean, I, I think we've we've talked about this in the last few weeks several times, and how it feels like Lower Decks at times feels like it's dialing back its comedy and finding a really good balance between telling a serious story, but it has you know some comedic overtones to it. But it's not like you know past episodes a lot of times feel like they're written to be funny, but I feel like lately. A lot of these episodes are not written sort of with comedy in mind. The comedy just comes out of whether it's somebody's line or, you know, anything like that. So I do think that there was a little, there were a few episodes, maybe it was this early this season, where we felt they sort of went too far in the other direction where there were very few jokes. Right. And this bordered on that, but I think the episode was so good I didn't mind. This episode also reminded me, because the plot of the episode deals with having a reporter come aboard the Cerritos and do a story on the California, basically kind of on the California class, because they're going to be doing this new, um, what was it, it wasn't called Mission Check-In, what was it called? Project Swing-By. Project Swing-By, right? It's very funny. But as I'm, as I, as I'm. They're calling it Project Pop-In. As I'm watching this unfold and they're saying, you know, we have a reporter coming on board. She's going to be, you know, kind of monitoring. I'm thinking to myself, like, where have I seen this? Like, I feel like I just saw an episode like this before. And then I guess, I guess for some reason it was, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I don't think I really have. Maybe I'm just thinking of the episode from last season with the, uh, the trainer that comes on board and wants him to do all, it's like the drill sergeant. Remember that episode? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's what, that's what I'm thinking of, but I feel like I just watched something where there was like, where something, a similar plot recently i feel this yeah this almost seems like this is a sitcom trope it's not but it feels like it is you know i've seen sitcom plots similar to this where it's either like oh somebody's coming and doing a story on us so we have to like 
you know, scramble and pretend this is like, or you know, our life is idyllic. Coming to dinner. Their boss is coming to dinner and everything has to be perfect. You know, it feels like a very, like, like an I Love Lucy plot. As if, like, Ricky was going to have, like, somebody was going to do a story on him. And so he had to, like, he tells Lucy and then she'll have to, like, make the, their, their marriage life look perfect. Right? To the point um, where it's, like, totally exaggerated. Like, that's... I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a story, if that's an episode, but it feels like something like that, right? Where they have to kind right. of deceive. And even the mix-up, right, seems like a very sitcom plot, also. Right, right. So, but what I also appreciated about it is that when Lower Decks was presented to us, they, the Cerritos, the California class. I mean, they position it like, oh, it's on. It's this unimportant starship an important starship class they do this lower priority they do these lower priority missions but i like the fact that they really i feel like this builds on that thread from a few episodes ago where the where you have the sort of lower decks of starships like seeing what the cerritos is doing and like they're really they're like the most popular california class ship and they're actually doing important stuff they're actually a really well-known yeah, so crew now classes looked up to them Right, and I feel like they're really picking up on that thread, which I, I honestly didn't think they would. I kind of, that at the time just kind of felt like a throwaway line to maybe move that plot forward a little bit in that in that particular episode. But I didn't think that they would actually come back to that, and it seems like they are, which I which I find very cool. Yes, and that, and also you know, Captain is trying to give the ship a little more prestige by starting this project swing by. Well, and also, I mean, we talk about how, you know, the show focuses on four lower deck crews, but I, I, I often forget that the ship itself is sort of the lower decks of Starfleet in the grander scheme of things. And so I sometimes forget that they, there is that sort of resentment there as well, that they're really trying to work their way up and be more well-known. So that's an aspect of the sort of the lower decks story that I don't think about too much or I just kind of forget about. So whenever we come back to it, it's always a joy. Agreed. It's also pretty fun that it is um, the aftermath of Picard's actions that give us our our sort of plot-driving story here. Right. And, and we've seen some of this before, right? I mean, we saw... It was in the first season where they taught where they actually went to Beta Two. A plan going back to Beta Two. Yeah, to see episode. to see if Landru and I said to myself, "Well, you already he, they already did go back to worshiping we worshiping him. We saw that two years ago, two seasons ago." So, right, but then it would have made them seem useful. They would have had something to do. But yeah, I mean, the episode didn't specifically. This was a, more of an ensemble episode this time. I mean, Mariner. I mean, I guess you could say maybe Mariner had a bit of a plot of her own, but I would say not, it it felt a little bit light in that sense. It, to me, felt like more of a... Um, this one felt more ensemble. Yes, it was strange, because Mariner certainly had the most significant arc in the episode, right. Right. but it's true. A lot of it happened off-screen. Right. I think there was no... Because I think with the Lower Decks crew, there was not really a significant character arc that really was the focus of the episode, right? Um, but the idea of the episode is that, yes, as we said, the Cerritos is engaged in this new initiative called Project Swing By, right? Mm -hmm. And so now they're tasked with going to all of these different planets and sort of checking up on people. And so the one that they're going to specifically was featured in the first season episode of Next Gen called Symbiosis. So they have to go and check up on these aliens. And while they're doing it, and see, you know, sort of basically see what had happened after Picard left. And as they're doing that, they're going to be sent, they send a reporter on board the Cerritos to kind of observe and do a story on this crew. So at the same time, as they're carrying this out, you know, the captain, of course, wants the ship in tip-top shape. She wants the crew... On their best behavior, which of course takes us down over to Mariner, which, because as we know, Mariner is our loose cannon. So Mariner obviously is the one who, at least in the captain's eyes, is the one who's the biggest threat can to this entire deception anyway. And um, as things go, you know, and and, and chaos ensues, I guess, mm. in some ways, but not. Really. I really like 
one thing I do really like about this, well, I like a lot of things about it, but I like the general message of like, you know, just be yourself is always the best strategy right. in life. But what I really like is the fact that I think we, I get why Freeman, Captain Freeman is not, is in the lower decks. Like she's not a great captain. She's not. She has, yeah, so I think I she think has. It yeah. makes sense because if you had Picard, if there were a reporter coming on the ship, he wouldn't give a crap. It would just see it as a mild annoyance. I think she's a, here's the thing. I think she's a good cap, a fairly good captain to her crew. But when you, when you, when you extrapolate beyond that, I mean, she's not really, yeah, you're right. She's not, I mean, she's got some poor judgment at times. She's got poor judgment. I mean, even, I mean, cause you make me think of when they were, when they were on deep space, not a few weeks ago and she was gonna oversee these, uh, sort of trade negotiations, right? You could tell, even though she wanted to do it, well, she actually, she didn't want to do it. She was, she wanted to do it, but she was mad she had to do it on such short notice, right? But then there was a moment where you could see her, like, you could see her buckling and she didn't even know what to do, right? And it's moments like that where you think to yourself, how did you even become a captain in the first place? Right. Isn't there a basic course at the academy on <laughs> negotiations? You can't teach judgment. Yeah. That's the hard thing. But you're right, though. I I'm, you yeah. You don't know you're teaching it. But that, it's 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 a point I never really considered, right? She's not really a great captain because it's not something you really want to admit. I think, yeah, but I she's mean, not. I mean, this is a great example because here, this is all personal. Um, I don't want to say ego, but mm. she's definitely not motivated by vanity. What's best for the ship here, yeah, vanity. Thank yeah. you. That's yeah. weird. Um, I guess she wants Project Swing By to to take off, and if there's a bad news report, it would could hurt it. But why does she want Project Swing By to take off? Even that seems to be just for ambition. Right. She wants to do it because then her ship will be seen, then California class will be seen as something that's important, and right now they're not. I, you know, you make, me, you make me think about something when you're kind of opening up my imagination here with, in terms of, like, again, saying she's not a good captain. It makes me wonder about what did she take this command years ago because maybe it was like the first one offered to her and she just wanted to take it and didn't even think about stepping stone. Yeah. 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 Or maybe she did it without realizing like the California class reputation and she says, she, or, you know, just, I just want to captain my own ship. Yeah. Or maybe it's, you know, I'll captain a California class for a little while and I'll go up and eventually I'll be at right galaxy class or something. But my daughter, um, Breckett, Beckett you know, Mariner. Idea, you know the concept of uh, you when you fail up? Yes. Like, yeah, you get, or you get promoted to the level of your incompetency, and then they stop. Right. So they keep moving you up a level until you can't do the job, and then they just keep you in the job you can't do very well. Is that a, is that like Mariner, only she's going the other way? She's failing down, her mom's failing up. Are they both at, like, this point? Have they like crossed now? Like she's on her way down, captain's failing up, and now they're just at yeah, this. Think, yeah, it's weird because yeah. uh, Mariners has gone up and down. Yeah, she was headed down, and then she sort of was going up, and it looked like she might actually get into command, and now she's not even in Starfleet, so it's a whole right. Hers is much more turbulent, but it seems like maybe, you know, maybe she was a very good first officer. And then, so the, oh, we had to give her her own ship, and then she's just not been that great at it. Yeah, and so as this reporter is on board, and they have to like check on all of these. I mean, they go to one this one specific planet, and if I, they turn out like you know they they kind of go there, I think, expecting there to be an issue or issues that they have to deal with, and they're just like, no, we're fine. Yeah, and certainly the, it was a good choice because it seems like a planet where things would have been off. Right. Picard left them. They were addicted to drugs. He cut them off from their drug supplier and then just left. Right. So you, you would think that would cause some chaos. And according to their mural, it did cause some chaos, which I found the mural very, very funny. Right. And simultaneously, this interviewer is, this reporter is interviewing the crew who is giving an insight into what it's, what life on the Cerritos is like. And of course, Freeman does not want Mariner or the Lower Decks crew anywhere near this reporter because... As we all know, I mean, if she talks to Mariner, then she probably, she potentially threatens the entire thing, which 
she eventually does talk to the reporter. She kind of sneaks her way in and things don't go well. But we're not actually privy to what she says at that point in the episode. So the assumption is he had gotten to see it. I would have liked that dual dramatic irony. Then it would have really been a sitcom um, sitcom trope where we would know. But but I did think the reveal was quite good. Actually, no, here's another reason why she's not a good captain. Look at all the recent episodes where they've had these bonding moments where she's realized that, you know, the lower deckers and the crew, they love the ship and they're working toward it. And yet, once the pressure's on, right, she reverts right back to, um, you know, the stance of trying to exclude I had that them. thought myself. It's like, when is that going to sink in? Because we've had, yeah. I mean, it, it takes me back to that episode in Embarrassment of Duplos when they're on the, when they're in Kirk and Spock's bar at the end. Exactly. And... And again, that's all about not being in the mo- being part of one of the most prestige ships in Starfleet because they can't get into that um, party that's going on over there. So they just make their own, and, and they that's the that they they love their crew and they love their ship and they you know care about each other. And it's been suggested several times throughout the show that it's not always about it's not only about the missions or what you get to or what you actually get to do that earns your place to be there. So yeah, I mean it's. I think it's it's used to it's used comedically as needed, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's weird to do it because we've had episodes where they don't really where it doesn't seem to matter as much <laughs> that they're on this not well-known starship or like not important starship. So, yeah. It's, but the thing is, is, they seem to gel as a as a crew. Yeah. And then it kind of disappears, and that could just be the fact that you've got so many different writers and how right. Kristen is it. But about halfway in, after Mariner talks to her, we find out that you know something happens that, um, which you know the captain and the crew make some assumptions that Mariner basically went in and said all of these horrible things. So yeah, all these... Jennifer and Boimler think she did. Boimler was more subtle. Right. And but it was very funny when Boimler kind of said, um, she said, I didn't do anything. And Boimler was like, yeah, okay. But let's just, you know, just apologize for whatever she thinks she did. Right. <laughs> and she gets reassigned to Starbase you know, 80, essentially like a garbage scout. Say again? Yeah. A garbage ship of some kind. It, yeah, it's a starbase. I mean, I, and I was thinking in my mind, like, is that a, I'm like, is that something? I couldn't remember if that was something, but I know not all starbases are disgusting. Like no, but I did. One thing I did notice was that the the officers' com badges were like the actual next gen com badges. They had the they had the oval behind them, so they were like they were so out of date, right? Uh, yeah, that's funny. So you know, out of frustration, the captain reassigns her to Starbase eighty. Mariner is upset about this. The entire crew is upset with her about it. And off she goes. They're all blaming her. her. Then they come to another planet to check on and they have an encounter with the Breen, who we have not seen since the series finale of Deep Space Nine. The Breen, for anybody who doesn't remember, were involved in the Dominion War. They joined the Dominion and helped and actually attacked Earth in the final season of the show. And we've not seen them in quite some time. So it was interesting and quite cool to see them. People always like to point out with the Breen that their helmet looks exactly like the helmet Leia wore in Return of the Jedi in Jabba's Palace. Nice. <laughs> They've been saying that since since we first saw the Breen back on the DS9 days. And um, I'm wondering if you had this thought. So when the Breen attacked the Cerritos... And it looked like the Cerritos was not going to make it. And this starship came in and saved the day. Turns out it's an automated starship, a Texas-class starship, that the Admiral, the Admiral who assigned them this project in the beginning of the episode, sent out there to save them. And it, event, you know, and it saved them all, and all was, all was well. And also, he said, they passed their test. So he sent it. As a test, which as a test. also is pretty incompetent. Was, to well, send a ship on a test to, to save people? Yeah, I mean, what, yeah. What that, if they failed the test? <laughs> right. And so, what, I, 
Well, what I mean, they're all incompetent on this whole side of Starfleet. Well, dude, it's keeping in, I think it's keeping in the tradition of corrupt admirals. What I had wondered, though, was that when, so when that ship arrived and saved them, the reporter was on the bridge, and so that now the admiral was, and so the crew was getting all this information, like, yeah, it's an automated starship, it's now declassified, it passed the test, and so the reporter begins asking the admiral all these questions, and I thought to myself, did the admiral just do all of this for the, for the fame, and just to get, you know, to call attention to himself, and just get, you know, be interviewed by the reporter himself? I mean, it didn't seem to be the case at the end of the episode, but I just wondered if that was... Uh, yeah, you know, again, we say vanity, right? So, certainly seems like it. Yeah. Um, Interesting that it was a Texas class. A Texas class, because California, California class, class, Texas class. Would have both known as the, you know, the biggest liberal state. The biggest think oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, they're sort of rivals in that in that sense. Oh, very and well, and given that we are in the midst of a midterm election, yeah, but I don't think there's anything more to it than that. No. But one could interpret it that way, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. but through the through all of this, we find out that Mariner didn't actually say anything terrible at all. She said very praiseworthy. She things. said very praiseworthy worthy things. So the captain of so Freeman, of course, is now, you know, desperately trying to get in contact with Mariner. I she wouldn't come back. Even if she got through to her, I was just too much of a betrayal. All the things she told her, she said, "I don't even think I can call you my daughter." Yeah, well, like that's too it's, much. And I was thinking about this after the episode. Is this the first time? Is this the first time we've truly seen Mariner's feelings hurt like to that to that extent? I mean, we've seen her have it out with Boimler, and they eventually patch things up. But is this the first time she's really gotten? Like, I think she might have had a similar situation. Yeah. But they cleared it up. She had a heart to heart with her mom about her mom not trusting her. Yeah. Which is early on. I, I think it was because, like, we see her eyes welling up at one point when she's walking down the hall away from Jen. And I thought, and you could yeah. just tell she was really hurt, right? And I was trying yeah. to think if this was really the first time she's ex- we've experienced, she's experienced that level of just hurtfulness. Um, I, of course, was thinking about her relationship with Boimler in season two when he left for the Titan. But that seemed more like resentment, more like it didn't feel like betrayal in a sense. So, yeah, I don't know. Could be. Could be. And it's tough because, you know, with, with people, too, when someone is known as kind of being a badass. Yeah. You, often their feelings are not considered as much. Right. Because they give off this persona, this air that they can handle anything. Well, and so as Freeman tries to contact her on board Starbase 80, we find out that she's not actually there. And we find out that, and this is our second twist of the episode, that she's actually gone off with that archaeologist. Finally. Who we saw a few episodes earlier, which that was actually when she contacted Starbase 80 and she wasn't there. I thought to myself, I wonder if she's in like in the middle of my thought. There she was. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I have a feeling that Marin is going to get sick of her pretty quickly. Right. Do you think there's, that she can mend things with Jennifer? I think so. But you know or what? Rather, do you think Jennifer can mend things with Mariner, I should say? Yeah. Because she said to her, I, I just need you to believe me. And, and she, she wouldn't. So, you know, that's tough. I think that I think she will. I I don't because you know you know why because I I don't know how vital the relationship between the two of them is to the show. So I kind of feel like it, it doesn't feel like something that's sort of hanging over the show, hanging over my is she isn't she? Will they or won't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I sure, but I mean, yeah, no, I'm not. You know, I'm just guessing here, but it, it, it's not. It, that's not important to me. This is not a Sam and Diane situation. No, no. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, I really, really enjoyed this one. I, I, I really did. I thought it was. Um, I like I said in the beginning of the show, I liked the twists and turns that it had, particularly on mm-hmm. the end, and I feel like back too. It's what? 
we got the porpoises back. Yes, but but you know what? I also feel like with the, with where Mariner is, and maybe even with the Admiral and these automated ships, I I wonder if this is are we leading into something? Like, are we building to something into the you know in the season finale? I'm I'm very curious about that. Like, are these maybe threads we just continue the California class ships? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Texas class. But you know what? That, this is one of the things about Lower Decks I really like. I like that even though it's not a heavily serialized show, I like that it has like minor serialization to the point where I'm like, are they, they going to revisit this in the next episode? But the, knowing that if they do, that'll probably be it and they'll move on to something else. Like it's not like this... It's not this huge question hanging over my head, hanging over the show. Is this is the show going to change directions, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I, I do. I would like to see some more direction changing, honestly, because I mean, this is pretty big. If if yeah, Mariner's back on the crew, you know, ten minutes into the next episode, I think that would be very disappointing. What sort of direction changing are you wanting? I'm not sure. It's just something this big. Yeah. It just it's just the reset. It just I don't always want to see it reset back to the. You want to, to see the, the show take some bigger risks and actually stay with the like kind of. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're going back. You're kind of going back to what I was saying about Shaxx. Yes. I mean, I'm glad he's alive. Don't get me wrong, but at the time, I just kind of felt like you kind of reeled it back in because it almost seemed like you were too afraid to keep him dead. Yeah, and that one right. didn't bother me only because he wasn't one of our main lower deckers. But I do see your point. Yeah, that yeah. was a pretty big deal. Kill off a character and then just bring him back. Well, it was it was because they had they had brought in Kayshawn. Who we still have. Which, right. But it seemed like, oh, they're going to just, they're replacing Shaxx with Kayshawn. That's great. And then they bring Shaxx and it's like, wait, what? I thought Kayshawn was, so... Maybe it was yeah, just a timing thing in some of those cases, so yeah. That could have been our clue that things were going to reset in the classic sitcom style. You know what it is? It's, I think for me, it's like, I, do, I didn't like how they decided to use the perspective of the lower decks as their kind of reset button. Like, we don't have to explain it because they're lower decks. So, for me, I was like, oh, I, but... Eh. But I kind of want an explanation for that. Th for that, though, you know, yeah. And that's why I say that one didn't work for me. But the the premiere episode this th for this season did, and they did it. This and they used the same. They did it using the same principle. So, yeah, yeah. I just I hope they don't get start getting like, um, you know, like on The Simpsons, Homer's jobs that he's had. Help me so out. So like, I just looked up one. The list of jobs he's had. Here's just under C. Candlemaker, car designer, caricaturist of open coffins, Carney, CEO of the Springfield Nuclear Power Plant, chauffeur for Classy Joe's, Springfield Chief of Police, child caretaker, choreographer for the Super Bowl halftime show, chiropractor, um, cook at a diner, con artist, conceptual artist, convenience store night clerk, and a curling player. So, you know. He's also gone to space. He was in a barbershop quartet that became the most popular band in the world. So you know, is he still working? At the, is he reset. still working at the nuclear power plant? Yes, and that's the reset so, that I mean. Is that that will happen for one episode? Springfield still has one. They haven't closed it. They haven't closed that power plant yet because of a. Uh, no, no, no. Well, nuclear power is good for global warming. It's just bad for everything else. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I think as I said, good. I think good, good show, great show this week. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And once again, I like. I keep. I have to keep saying this almost every week, and I'll eventually stop. But I think the show has really struck a good balance between telling something very serious and just sprinkling in the comedy. Sometimes they. They may lean in more heavily one way, in one direction or the other, but I, this one to me represents a really, this one represents a good balance of both. 
I, I found it was a little lacking. It was tough for me to come up with my favorite line, honestly, because I didn't find many of them first. You know so what? I, I, str- I struggle with my favorite line, too, actually. So that means I, I that means they got, I'm like a little more humor in mine, but I did like the episode. Well, you know what I think it was? I think the reason why I feel like I struggle with my favorite line was that, I mean, on the surface, there was no line that was that truly stuck out that was funny. But I think I was too into the story and the like the sort of the drama of the story to even have a line, a favorite line stick out. Um, and I think maybe we should maybe say that when we say favorite lines, our, our favorite lines tend to be funny ones, right? Oh, I thought it was funniest line. Was it? Was it I've been thinking of it as funniest line the whole time. I'll have to go back and look at a thing because I can't remember if we if it's just favorite lines or just funniest lines. I think it might be favorite. Okay. Um, but either way, I mean, we favorite lines that we chose are always funny. Um, even if you thought it was funniest and I thought it was favorite, my, all my lines are still f- are funny anyway. So yeah. um, I think that I'm going to just be on the lookout for favorite lines that are not necessarily funny. So that like that's not all I'm going to look for. Okay. So, but my favorite line this week is funny. But you know. Mm-hmm. So. So what I, did you come up with for your favorite slash and or funniest line? So, again, it was not really. It wasn't a line that was very pertinent to the plot, but it was when they go into the uh, when the pie eating contest is being canceled because the reporters on board and they go in and they see all the pies getting disregarded and. Um, it's Rutherford and Tenny. Rutherford, Rutherford says, pie eating contest is canceled, but I've expanded my GI tract to store more pie. And then Tenny says, and I've perfected dislocating my jaw. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was good. I really yeah, like that. Too. Like, that I really was, liked that the security was willing to use the phaser on um, Rutherford to protect the pies that they were going to throw away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, it's like, just give them a fucking pie. It was a big deal. Yeah, and our, my thought too is why can't they just go back to their quarters and replicate a pie? I, I know. I'm surprised nobody even said that. I'm surprised like the security officer said, you know, you can just replicate one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my line isn't even a line. It's just two words that came up. Yep. You ready? And this was funny. It made me laugh out loud. Bucket Mariner. Very good. Yeah. That was great. That was hilarious. Bucket Mariner. I guess my other one would be when... Um, Captain Freeman is is yelling at Mariner and says, you gave her terrible out of context. And Mariner says, oh, no, I gave context. <laughs> that was good because, you know, it's one of those great sitcom moments of like, they're both talking about different things. Yeah. One's thinking she's telling her how she told her she told the reporter how great the show was. And she's yep. saying she told the reporter how chaotic the ship is. Member Barry Corner. I gotta write this time. We already covered a couple. We did. We did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And like, and these, yeah, these sometimes come out just through the discussions of the episodes. But um, let me just pull these up here. So, I'm finding that the show, funnily enough, is doing a lot of member berries with itself. It's referencing a lot of its own lore and its oh. own canon yeah um, so because at one point when the oh, reporter yeah. is talking to the is talking to freeman giving her sort of the summary of everything everybody has told her mm-hmm. she's essentially listing out everything she's listing out is an episode of lower deck she doesn't list out all of them but she lists out some notable ones yes. you know ransom turning into the giant head and tries mm-hmm. to eat the ship and the captain even says yeah but that was some strange energy stuff and the name of the episode was called strange energies um. Uh, you know, she mentions the transporting of the Dupler. She mentions mm-hmm. Kayshawn being turned into a puppet, the spear-wielding aliens, Quark getting kidnapped. Yep. Um, the incidents with Peanut Hamper, encounters with Q, and these aren't everything, but these are just, but these all happen. These are all episodes. The, the tester that came. What's that? The tester person that came. Yes. The, yep. That was that was a good one. Yep. The, visual aid. Um, yeah, the Q. They've described it as chaotic and silly, and I'm seeing a lot of things about a Q. <laughs> that was funny. 
And of course, you know, as I mentioned, this is the first time we have seen this alien species since symbiosis, you know, the TNG episode, and then the brain, of course, since uh, DS9's final episode. I love that they brought back that character who loves conspiracy theories, the ones who says Wolf 359 was an inside job. That Wolf 359 was an inside job. He was the one who, uh, when Marin is being sent off the ship, he assumes that it's because it's some sort of temporal cold, cold war operation. Oh yes, that was very very good. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know this is some kind of a temporal cold war, but but you've made me very angry. And when Freeman calls the starbase, at one point they're chasing a Perithian bat. Doctor Flox had a Perithian bat that we saw, and I think it was in a, the episode of Night in the Sick Bay on oh, Enterprise. Nice. It's a bat that's a little like it's a pale white bat that got loose so yeah yeah very cool but um you know and that's the other thing that i'm going to mention with all you know just going through this looking at these memberberry corner here sure i mean again you know the show really pulls a lot of its humor from just nods and stuff like that to the past to past lore but again I feel like it's all, it's not doing it kind of for a laugh. Like, I feel like they've really, it's all done where it just makes sense to do it. But it's not like, you know, we talked about how last season, I think even a little bit this season, there were a couple of, there were a couple of episodes where they were really sort of like on maximum overdrive with all of the nods and mentions of past uh, episodes, past series. And I feel like they've kind of dialed it back. A little bit. They still do it, but it, for some reason, it doesn't feel like it's just a. They're not hitting you over the head with it. It just they just it seems to just come out naturally. I guess. Does that make sense? I guess I could use yeah. a little bit more of it. <laughs> as long as it's funny, like you know, my favorite is when something crazy happens, and, and instead of acting like, oh my god, we've never heard of this, they list all the times it's happened. I think it's because they are of they are of substance mm-hmm. now, more so than. Before they used to just like, they were just like throwaway lines. Like they would just come out like in rapid succession. And you're like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I'm getting a little family guy, so to speak. Yeah, as much as I would hate to admit it, but yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, here's a question where, where did we first see the Federation News Network? Um, my recollection is that we first see it in Endgame on Voyager, but I could be wrong about that. I see. So that could be... Uh, maybe, uh, well... Maybe on DS9. My thought was maybe on... Um, Generations. No. No. The movie Generations? Yeah, yeah. Because remember when um, Kirk is coming to the sh- uh, to the ship? and um, Oh, you're right. Well, we see movie. reporters. I don't think it's... I don't think it's referred to as such. Yeah, no, I didn't mean either. Yeah. According to Memory Alpha, it seems like it's... it's um, Are you saying show. by name or just like reporters in general? I just mean, I mean FNN specifically. Yeah, maybe... Picard, maybe maybe Picard, actually. The first episode. Yeah, because... Okay. Yes, because remember, uh, remember in the first episode of Picard, they show that like newsreel? I think you're right. Maybe Picard, yep. yeah. Because I remember. Well, I, the thing is, I remember in, in the finale of Voyager in the in the cold open, they show Janeway. It's like Voyager's been home now for like twenty plus years, and there's a news report like recounting the day Voyager got home. Yeah. And I thought Maybe there, like, was there like a lower third that said Maybe FNN? That was but rival no. network. What's that? Maybe that was their rival network. I actually think it was. I'm not even joking. The Fox News of the Federation. I think there was some kind of like. I think there was, I, I'd have to look, but I'm, I'm fairly certain like there were two different news networks. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you wow. think that, you think that Picard is being interviewed by like the, uh, the Fox News version? Cause they were they more. They did kind of, of try to do a gotcha on him, didn't they? Yeah. So maybe. So maybe this one too. <laughs> well, it'd be the same uh, network. Yeah, it's the same network, right? Maybe it's so. the, um, yeah, that's true. Maybe this is what, what this is. This is the, um. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to um 
It says, so again, I'm back on memory for a second. It says, FNN were present to report on the new USS Enterprise B shakedown cruise. So, yes, Generations. I just don't think you don't, I don't think you hear that for, I don't think you hear the name Federation no, News Network, but that might have been, I think that film was actually the first time where I was like, wait, there are still news reporters in the, <laughs> I think that was the first time you were like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess like I never, it would make sense that they have it, but it was, maybe it was just something you wouldn't have even thought of <laughs> for some reason. Right. And what, what? And then I had all these questions. Are they pri- owned privately or are they owned by the government? Well, and the, that's the thing, right? In Generations, because there were like a dozen reporters on the Enterprise B. So you, and you're assuming, right, that it's one one reporter is representing one network, right? Yeah, but why would they have networks? Or I, I, I'm just thinking of it in like modern day. Yeah, yeah. As, right. Yeah. So... Or some do some of them work for like you know Federation member planets who have their own net, news networks? Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But it's like even then, if they're all Federation planets, they'd all fall into the Federation news network. Yeah, so, what, are they gonna square away like what the actual deal is on Earth before they write anything that has anything to do with Earth? We've we've talked about this several times. I really want to know what daily life on Earth is truly like. The on, best. The best. The best. One is definitely the intro to the motion picture novelization. Oh, God, yeah. That is written uh, by Roddenberry as if Kirk were explaining what, what Earth's like. You should. So, this sticks it's really out. fascinating. The. I have the pilot script for Star Trek Phase 2 called In Thy Image, which is the motion picture script. It's, it's a little bit different, but it's that story. And there are some scenes written early on that do not appear in the motion picture because it was written as a, you know, as a for a te- as a television pilot. And I remember there was a scene describing Kirk walking down the street in San Francisco, I believe. And you got a sense of what you just saw what he was seeing. And I think it says okay. something. To, it says something effective like, you know, people were going to like taking fruit off these fruit stands, you know, that was, you know. And it was free, you know, they kept saying it was free, you know, stuff like that to give you the, to kind of show it. But they said, but it also said like, you know, but people walked around with no clothes on because by that time yeah. humans didn't care about appearances. And yeah. is that, is that what the, is that what they say in the motion? Is this something like that in the motion picture? Yeah. It's got so weird. Yeah. Like not that, not that exactly, but it does have yeah. some weird stuff about like different cultist groups that like sprung up. Yeah. And it's very fascinating. We should really should probably cover it when we're off season. You know, we yeah. That's I, I Roddenberry. Actually, you talk about Roddenberry's vision. That's Roddenberry's vision. Naked people walking around. Well, so when uh, I was watching the documentary that Shatner did called "The Captains." Actually, no, I'm sorry, not the Captains. It was um. He did two documentaries. One was on the captains, and there was another one about the first season, two seasons of Next Generation, and the, and the chaotic, and the oh, chaos chaotic behind movie. the scenes. Right, that's when Roddenberry was still there. That's a and good documentary. Have you seen it? Yes. Do you remember when Iris Stephen Bear, who was one of the, who went on to write for Next Generation and then even DS Nine, they were talking about? Um, it was that episode from the first season with those people who run, who ran every place. Yes. And. Iris Stephen Baird said that when that script was being developed and they would like go to Roddenberry for like to kind of run it by him, he loved the idea of just the culture of the, of the, of those, of that planet. And he said like, you know, and maybe on the other side of the wall, we don't see it, but you know, you think that people are like back there, like, you know, having sex and like, and it's like, (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, he was, um, you know, great bird of the galaxy, but he had some interesting, uh, you know, no judgment. I'm not going to oh. kink shame the man, but he definitely had some, uh, you know, I mean, outside of the mainstream. Hey, listen, you know, if we can get to the, you who, know, who does, you know, who doesn't? It may seem odd by today's standards, but look, if we, if, if, if humanity reached a point where like people just <laughs> walked around like that with not a care in the world, I mean, that's that's great, great, that's great. Yeah. I, mean, I think I, though he was reflecting his personal life when he was coming up with these things, though. Right, but I no, I, I, I. I would like to dive a little bit into that into that novelization, and 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 I think you and I have not really covered the uh, the motion picture 4K release anyway, so maybe that's. Um, I have the audiobook of that, and so 
Um, I should just play it one day when I'm just, you know, sitting at home really working. Right? What's that? Fascinating. Thank you, Spock. And also, it's just like it's because it, it exists as if the book was written in universe as a fictionalization of Kirk. But here's the real Kirk that we know from the TV show. Yeah, you talking mentioned about the book that's a fictionalization of what he did. You mentioned that I think like I think it was like three years ago when we were at yeah. the, when we were at the 40th anniversary of the motion picture. Didn't they just they re-released the novel? Didn't they? They put it back in print again for the 40th anniversary or something. And so it came up in yeah, you it came up. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. Um, I want to try to locate the script. For in for the original pilot again in thy image, um, which again was the pilot for Star Trek Phase Two, which was what they ended up using for the motion picture with some, you know, yeah. major changes to it. But it's Maybe it's we could do a it's, dramatic reading. It's what? Maybe we could do a dramatic reading. But you know something like it's a very interesting script to read because even though it is the motion picture for the most part like it's the motion picture as if it were on tv so like it's not it's not as expansive as the movie gets right and i just you know there are scenes that are in the movie that are not in that script and and vice versa you know it ends i forget how it ends but it you know riker uh, riker um <laughs> Decker and Ilea obviously survived because they were meant to be regulars on the show. So um, Spock is not there. It's that different science officer. So it's um, it's interesting to kind of ponder what, if they actually went through with it, what would have um, come of it and how it would have, how the Trek universe would have been very different after that. Mm. Um, but two, there were two next gen episodes that are t- that are, that, were, that were originally written for that show that they used. Right, wasn't it the one with the the very uh, uh, the child the and devils do racist? Say again. The one that seems no the one with the uh, quote unquote. Okay. No, no, no. So well, it's um one. the child, which is a season two episode of Next Gen, season one, season two, episode one, and then a season three episode called Devils Do. Those were oh. both written for Star Trek Phase Two. Um. I don't think I think they wrote a. I think the script for the original child is included in that book. I have. I don't know if the one for Devils Do is, but basically, Decker and Ilea were Troy and Riker. Like it was the same. It's the same dynamic. Like that's who that was. Yeah, Decker, Riker, Captain Decker from the original from the motion picture, and then Ilea the bald. Like she was the telepath, right? It was supposed. They kind of transposed that those two characters in that relationship onto then Riker and Troy. Like, that's who they... Yeah, I'm glad they gave Troy more of a personality than Ilea. Well, Ilea, to be... Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, she was only in one film. <laughs> so who knows? Right, yeah. you know. But, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, the performance is kind of stale. I mean, it's good for what it is, but you wouldn't want to have a series with someone that acts like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of... It's a wooden performance. Yeah, intentionally, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, that would be, you know, that would be cool, I think, because we've only got one episode of Lower Decks left to do. And then we then we have some time off until I think presumably Picard returns. So maybe in between then we can do some stuff. Um, yeah. I kind of wanted it. Would, now that I think of it, it would be cool to examine that documentary about the first two seasons of Next Gen. I'd be interested to, t- to talk about that. Oh yeah, we get yeah. Julian on that probably. Yeah. All right. Anything else on your end before we close? Um, I don't know. Let's see. Let's search Google for Star Trek and click news. <laughs> so you've not prepared any Star Trek news. Got it. William Shatner criticism from Star Trek cast is from people bitter and embittered. Oh my god, I can't believe this is still a news. This is from one hour ago, this article. What site is it on? Deadline? Yeah, I think they just need some clicks, dude. (laughs) 
Speaking to the Times of London for an interview that ran Friday, William Shatner, who played Captain James T. Kirk on TV and in seven films, gave a few jabs back at one of the people he worked with on those projects. At 91, Shatner has not forgotten the criticism of his behavior when the cameras were not rolling. 60 years after some incident, they are still on that track, he says. Don't you think that's a little weird? It's like a sickness, he said of the criticism. I began to understand that they were doing it for publicity. Mm. George has never stopped blackening my name, Shatner said. Yeah. These people are bitter and embittered. I have run out of patience with them. Why give credence to people consumed by envy and hate? Well, it seems like he's the one who brought it up, but. There was a tiny news item, which I think is kind of cool. So I guess Pluto TV is launching another Star Trek channel with uh, DS9 and original series being broadcast on there. So Okay. Because right oh, now the Star Mar- Trek channel is only Next Generation, mostly. Um, it's not on demand, so you have to watch it as it airs. So Volkswagen built a Star Trek captain's chair that goes 12 miles an hour. That's great. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think on that note, it's time to close. Nope. No. No. Variety. Wow. Oh. My God. Variety had something to say about Mulgrew, but she's just on a different show. All right. All right. Whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Well, the last thing I'll say this is not a news item. It's more of a uh, suggestion for you. Check out some Prodigy. Okay. Yeah. I I Oh wait. Oh wait, wait, one more. Here, I have ready? to see the episode from, from this week, but yeah. Star Trek Picard hints Janeway will return in series finale. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Uh, if it happens, great. I think it has to do with the comic, not <laughs> the show. Yeah. All right. right. Well, in the meantime, until we're back next, you can email us at instartrekretrust.gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at instartrekretrustpodcast and on Twitter at startrekwetrust. Until then, we will see you next time. Peace out. Later. Later.